Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. Let's start. I want to start by setting a couple of things up. The first thing I want to set up is the city of Philippi. So the city of Philippi is in northern Greece in Macedonia, and uh, it was, well, it is a city, and at that time it was a city of about 10,000 people. So to the uh, east of it, I believe, you've got these rugged mountain ranges where they had gold and silver mines. You've got a uh, an ancient highway that runs through the city, and the city was originally a Greek city, and it had a giant amphitheater in this city that could sit seat up to 50,000 people. So people would travel from all different parts to come to this giant amphitheater. Now, when the Romans conquered Greece, they totally transformed it and they Romanized it. What they did is they changed the language and they put everything under the authority of Caesar. Now, this is significant. We'll find out through the series why. But one of the things that they used to say is that Caesar is Lord. That is one of the common things that they used to say. So they changed the language. They established a class system. So they had the the Romans as the higher class and the Greeks that were conquered used to do the more menial labor. They changed the currency. And this is a special shout out to Matt. They used that amphitheater for gladiatorial battles. All right. Big fan. Ask him later. Now, in the book of Acts, we have the history of the church in Philippi. Here's what happened. The Apostle Paul, he's traveling around. He gets a vision. And in the vision, there's this guy. And the guy says, come to Philippi or come to Macedonia. We need your help. I don't think there was like a little bot or like a help me. No, okay. No Star Wars references. Help me, (laughs) Obi-Wan. Something like that. Just checking the crowd, temperature of the crowd. We've got a bit of work to do. (laughs) So in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul gets a vision of a guy saying, come to Macedonia, and he follows the vision. And what does he find when he arrives at Philippi? He doesn't find a guy. He finds a group of prayerful women praying by the river. And that prayer meeting is the start of and the birth of the church in Philippi. In particular, there's a successful businesswoman named Lydia, and she is influential in the starting of the church. We're also talking about joy. So we're talking about Philippi, the Philippians, but we're also talking about joy. One of the key questions that I found that we have when we start to talk about joy is what is the difference between joy and happiness? Okay, uh, Happiness is an emotion. It's one of the four key emotions that psychologists have studied when they've studied people from all over the world, different races, genders, ethnicities. They've identified four primary emotions for every human being. One is happiness. The ne- next is sadness. And then you've also got fear and anger. So happiness is an emotion. 
And emotions are strong feelings that are derived from circumstances, moods, or relationships with others. And most people are happy when external circumstances are going their way or when they're in a good mood. Would you agree? Most people, most of the time. And sometimes if we pursue happiness as a goal, we can ride the roller coaster of life. Have you ever been in a situation where you attach yourself to your external circumstances and the moods and you're doing well? Maybe you're achieving some of your life goals. Maybe you're, you're, uh, you've started your career. Maybe you've graduated from uni. Maybe you're on the way up. Maybe you've got the job of your dreams. Maybe you met your, the person of your dream. And then things happen beyond your control. Maybe you get made redundant from your job. Maybe you have a significant breakdown in a family relationship. And so sometimes we're up, 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 and sometimes we're down, down, down. And if we base and pursue happiness, sometimes we can be riding that roller coaster, the high highs and the low lows. And sometimes in life, we can even have the lows and the highs happening simultaneously. We can have some of the best things happening in our life and we can have some of the most painful things happening in our life at the same time. Has anyone ever experienced that? And the circumstances for the letter of Philippians, when the Apostle Paul writes to the people of Philippi, they were not happy. They were not ideal circumstances. And there are two things that are rarely associated with happiness. One is the loss of basic freedoms. And two is relational conflict. When you have a loss of basic freedoms and relational conflict, you are usually not happy, at least in my experience. And these are some of the things that is happening. Now, the first thing that you need to know is that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter when he is imprisoned. He has lost his basic freedoms. He's under house arrest. He is not free to go wherever he wants, whenever he wants, but he is under constant supervision and guard. At times, he is even chained. The other thing that we know is that the people of Philippi were in this three-dimensional conflict. There was conflict from three different places. Now, one of those places was as Jesus followers, and remember, and we'll see this 14 times in this book, there is this declaration that Jesus is Lord. Now, they're saying Jesus is Lord in a Roman city where they say Jesus, where they say Caesar is Lord. So there is this conflict between the Roman Empire. There is this conflict between themselves and their Greek culture. Their established patterns of living. For those of you who have particularly who have made a decision to follow Jesus later in life, you would experience the 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 pull, the desires, the patterns, breaking free some of the patterns of life before Jesus and embracing the patterns of life with Jesus. That's not always easy. And when there are relationships and people involved in that, that can be quite difficult. It's a relational conflict. 
the third relational conflict you'll see, or the third conflict is between the Jewish people and Jewish traditions. So there was often this really big pull back into Jewish traditions that people used to say, if you follow Jesus, you have to follow all the laws of Moses. You have to follow all the commandments that were made in the Old Testament. And that's what it means to be a Jesus follower. And they had to overcome that. Now, the Apostle Paul was very familiar with this three-dimensional conflict. He had lived it at a very extreme level in different parts of his life. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. So it's this time in this scenario, and we would agree that it's not a happy scenario. But this is where Christian joy appears. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul opens his personal address to them with this, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for you with joy. Now, the Apostle Paul had no reason to be happy, but he had every reason to be joyful. And happiness is outward and joy is inward. Happiness is what happens to us. Christian joy is what happens through us. Happiness reacts. Christian joy transcends. Happiness is temporary. Christian joy is enduring. Happiness can be pursued. Christian joy can only be produced. And I want to focus in a little bit on that last statement. Christian joy cannot be pursued, it can only be produced. If you're looking to be happy, there are certain things that you could do, certain actions that you could take when you leave this room and this place, and you could go and find things to make you happy. And this, this series is not a series against happiness at all. Enjoy your life, be happy. But there is something that is deeper that can never be pursued, but it can only be produced. And Christian joy is organic in nature. And like everything organic, it requires connection to another source for its life. You think about this, everything that grows, everything that is organic, everything that is full of life is connected to a life source of some kind. There is nutrients, there is some kind of flow that is flowing through it. And this morning, I want to say that Christian joy thrives on connection. Christian joy thrives on connection. And think about this. There is not one single element of the Christian life or Christian growth that takes place impersonally. Have you ever thought about that? There is not one single part of the Christian life that takes place impersonally. Because it is a close and personal relationship First, with God who has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. 
And Jesus allows us to come into close relationship with God. And then we have the privilege of having close relationship with other believers. That is the only way that Christian growth happens. That is the only way that Christian joy is produced. So I'm going to give you a couple of ways that the Apostle Paul invites us to connect to Christian joy. And here's the first one. We connect to Christian joy when we live a shared purpose. Verse number five says, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The 6th of June, 1944, some of you who understand and have studied history would know this is often referred to as D-Day, the invasion of Normandy. And it was a freedom mission to liberate France. And it eventually led to a series of defeats and uh, was instrumental in the turning of, of the war. And there was a British theologian named Broughton Knox, and he was serving as a young chaplain in the British Navy. And when he was on a ship preparing for D-Day and the invasion of Normandy, he noted that the minds of all hands on board, regardless of rank, were focused on the invasion's success. No one thought of their own interests, but only how they could help their shipmates in their commonly shared purpose. But he noticed that this was a unique atmosphere and inner contentment and something that, in spite of the conflict, was in a strange way could be described as joy. Now, after the invasion and the return to England, everyone started to notice that the atmosphere shifted. And people were still friendly, it was still organised. But several of the sailors started to talk to him. They sensed the difference and they asked the young chaplain why things had changed. Here's his reflection. He said, The answer was quite simple. During those months that preceded and followed D-Day, our thoughts had a minimum of self-centeredness on them. I think that's significant. A minimum of self-centeredness. We gave ourselves to our shared activity and objective. Once the undertaking was over, we reverted to our own purposes as we do normally. One of the other words that's used to describe shared partnership is a word called fellowship. And it's not a word that's commonly used, but it's a word that is used to describe the New Testament church community. And fellowship is this sense of partnership in which we have a unified purpose, but we aren't just unified to each other, but we are unified to the Spirit of God and through the Spirit of God to have a common purpose and a common mission. You know that human friendship 
is a wonderful thing, but there is something that is deeper that is available to us, which is the work of the Holy Spirit that joins us together. Purpose and fellowship. Do you know that purpose and a shared purpose helps us to make sense of pain? It helps us to make sense of unfinished business. It helps us to put how we feel in a certain moment in context with a greater story. So what is our Christian purpose? Well, the Apostle Paul says it here. It's the mission of Jesus. We also are on a freedom mission. You and I, as Jesus followers, we have the privilege and the opportunity to be involved in joining in the work of God to see freedom. What are we getting free from? That's a good question. Death, that's one thing. We know that life doesn't come to an end. We see in the future freedom from pain. We see freedom from conflict. And Jesus invites us in. This is the gospel, the good news, that we would have peace with God, that we would have eternal life, but also that we would get to share in the renewing work of God right now. That by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, God would begin to renew our minds. God would give us power to renew relationships, things that are broken. And God would help us to be a force for good in our city. That's the first one. The second one is this. We connect to Christian joy when we find a deeper love. Verse 7 says, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Now, a word that we could use to describe the Apostle Paul's feeling for the people in the church of Philippi is this. It's affection. Affection is that, that gentle feeling that you really like someone. Now, I'm proposing that in any close relationship that you have with people over a long time, whether that be your own family, whether that be a work team or a sporting team, people that you do life with consistency, consistently and people that you grow with different life stages through, I propose that our default is not affection, but actually our default is annoyance. Now, if you're sitting next to someone that you live with, do not look at them right now. Who knows that often our default is not affection. That often our default is that we recognize the little things that bother us about that person. And we can have a growing frustration. And if you could see what I could see right now on the faces of people. <laughs> Hypothetically, other people that I am. 
you know, do you ever get that feeling when, you know, if affection is you have like this gentle liking about the person, do you know what, you know, I'm sure you do, you know the feeling where it can be opposite, that everything just annoys you about that person. And you can get this. I'm personally talking hypothetically. This would never happen to me. My wife is the luckiest woman in the world. That's a joke. But, you know, like everything, all the little habits, all the little things, and you get this building and growing frustration with somebody. Do you know that one of the ways that the Bible describes the church is a family of God? And you don't get to choose your family. You often get to choose who you work with. You don't get to choose your family. And the way that I, one of the ways that I describe church is this, imperfect people responding to a revelation of Jesus Christ. But in life... I find that people don't often struggle with their own imperfections. They're pretty comfortable with those. We struggle with others' imperfections. And we can magnify their imperfections and minimize our own. And there is something that the Apostle Paul is saying and inviting us to. There is a great exchange where we can exchange our annoyance for affection. Often, what we're frustrated about is that people aren't meeting our expectations. And this is very true in local church. There's a a quote from an author, Eugene Peterson, a theologian. He says, sooner or later, if we are serious about growing up in church, we have to deal with church. I say sooner, most Christians find church to be the most difficult aspect of being a Christian. And many drop out. There may be more Christians who don't go to church or go only occasionally than who embrace it, warts and all. And there are certainly plenty of warts. Do you know that being in a local church in a diverse group of people what God encourages, invites us, but also will see empowers us to do is to have a sense of affection. Because as you do any close relationship with anybody over time and you grow at different rates, sometimes you're growing faster than someone else. Sometimes you feel they're not growing. Sometimes different people are coming and going. But God is encouraging us and inviting us and saying, I want you to develop affection for the people around you. He talks about this love that's within us that begins to overflow, and it's not our own love. Do you know that we have such an amazing responsibility from Jesus himself? Jesus says, the world will know that you love me and you follow me if you love one another. You come into a church and you, or you come into a room and you're like, oh, I get the sense these people don't like each other. 
That's not what God's intention is. You come into a church and get this sense, oh, these people have an affection for each other. They're different, but they've learnt how it is to live in the love of God. So annoyance becomes affection, and why? Because of the overflow of love. You know, the Apostle Paul says this, you each have a special place for, he has a special place for all of them. I want to encourage us that our hearts need to grow for each other. That our hearts, in if you're in any close relationship, maybe in the home, in the marriage, maybe you're in the midst of this time where things are really bothering you or frustrating, allow God to be, come into your heart and give you a bigger heart and create space for people. Even right now, I'm going to get you to take 30 seconds. Think about the person. You don't have to. I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up. You're like, okay, Twinkie. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. But think about the person perhaps that is frustrating you or annoying you and take a moment and say, God, I need your help with this person. Would you give me an affection, a positive disposition before to them. That doesn't mean that you agree with everything they say or you don't need to challenge certain situations. It just means that your starting position is one of love and affection. Would you do that? Just take a minute. Just take 30 seconds to do that. God, we just invite you into this moment. We want to be people who exchange annoyance for affection. Give us the courage and the love to do that in Jesus' name. The final point is this. We connect to Christian joy when we follow a better example. Paul says this, For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Here's a, two words to zero in on. What really matters? I'm sure that all of us have had situations or circumstances where we've been focused or sometimes even obsessed on pursuing something only to realize when we get it that it doesn't really matter. The thing that we had to have, the experience that we had to have. And happiness lives to please itself, but Christian joy thrives in pleasing Jesus and serving others. And that's what really matters. Uh, before I became a, a full-time pastor, I worked in sales and marketing in Sydney and in, enjoyed that career. And I made a transition from the state office to the national office in Sydney, the office block right there in the harbour. And I had the opportunity to 
present to uh, president of South Asia and all the general managers. I would have to do these regular presentations to them. There was only one thing. I didn't know how to do that. But I had a boss who was very gracious to me. And she taught me how to lay out a presentation. And she taught me what was important and what really matters. The question that I have for us as people who are learning what it is to follow Jesus, are we coming to our boss, our Lord? Are we coming to someone who knows how to live really well, how to live to please God, how to live to glorify God, how to live to serve others, how to live to make a difference and create a legacy? Are we coming to Him and saying, hey, there are parts of my life I don't really know what I'm doing or or sometimes I, I just don't feel like I'm going anywhere, God. Or, or, or other times I feel like I'm actually hurting people instead of helping them. Would you, as I open the Word, as I look at the example, would you be that example for me? Would you teach me by your Holy Spirit? Would you produce within me kindness and love? And this is what actually happens. Galatians 5 Another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he says, But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Remember, we're talking about this organic life flow that Christian joy is produced. But not only Christian joy, we see a list here. We see that as we follow Jesus, as we allow the work of the Holy Spirit to flow through us, that He produces, produces joy, He produces love, He produces peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what will happen when we follow a better example, the example of Jesus. Why don't you uh, close your eyes and bow your head and we're going to pray. God, I just pray for every person who would call themselves a, a Jesus follower. I pray that they would understand the power and potential of connection with you. That they would understand what's available when we learn to hear your voice, to read your word, to follow your example. Lord, when we commit to your purposes, when we allow your flow of love, when we look to you as a model for living. And so God, I pray every person would be encouraged and even now strengthened in their faith. In the name of Jesus. And just before we finish, you can stay uh, your head, head bowed, eyes closed. I want to give an opportunity. If you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus, you don't need to know all the answers. It's a journey. It's being part of a community. If you've never opened up your heart and say, Jesus, I allow your presence within me and I want to follow you. I want to take that first step. If that's you this morning, 
everyone's heads about eyes closed would you just put up your hand just to uh, let me know so that I can pray for you is there anyone wants to accept that invitation this morning Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for your presence that's in this place, Lord. I thank you that you're with us. I pray this week we would be encouraged to live with your love, to live with that sense of affection towards the people around us. Give us grace for that. Give us courage for that. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.